0: Let the favor of the Lord, your God, be upon you, and establish for you the work of your hands, so that whatever you do, you do for the Lord, for he is with you, and he is for you. And the world will know God by how we show them love and mercy. Today uh, it's good to be with you. It's always great to gather together as a body of Christ. Uh, welcome to all of you who join us online as well. And I do want to say to our online uh, community, uh, we've mentioned it a couple times, but, but. Uh, be, feel free to, to put a prayer request in, you know, on the, the Facebook side of that. You can also do that on the YouTube. You kind of got to look around a little bit more there. Uh, pastor Ian, we're trying to get him freed up so he can do more pastor stuff and less, uh, less electronic kinds of things. Uh, so I just encourage you, if you have a prayer request or if you want to talk to a pastor, uh, just let him know. I think you can private message him as well. Click on his thing uh, and send it as well there. Because the fellowship and the connection is really important in the body of Christ. Well, this morning we're kicking off a new teaching series we're calling Favor, Protecting Our Witness, uh, and favor isn't a word we use very much unless we're asking somebody for something. Would you do me a favor? Uh, and that word is kind of related to, to this sort of thing. But this is more uh, the idea of finding favor with people. You, you guys ever met somebody that just immediately you just kind of liked them, you know, and you just connected with them? Uh, people that, that, you know, you liked hanging out with, they, they worked with you. Any, any of you ever met anybody like that? You have a spouse next to you, so guys, you should be nodding your head yes right now, okay? I'm trying to help your marriages here, so. (laughs) Um, And on the other side of it, sometimes you meet people that just, right off the bat, it's like, Rawr, you know. Uh, they, they just, it just doesn't connect. It isn't good, you know. And then some people just have really good people skills, you know. They're just good at, you, everybody kind of likes to, to hang out with them. And that, that's kind of what the word favor means. It's kind of this idea of, uh, you know, finding favor with people, people that um, connect with you, people want to know more about you, people, people like you kind of a thing. And the sad truth is, that for Christians and for Christianity, we've kind of gained a reputation for being the mean kid. You know, for th- kind of the ugliness and for anger, and, and Christians th- hit the, the papers and hit the, the news all the time with the disper- disrespectful, angry kind of Christian that's, that's after people, that's, that's venomous, that, you know, frankly, you, you'll see a fair amount of what I call toxic Christianity out there. Uh, and, and that's not... That's not what God intended, and that is certainly damaging to the witness of the church of Jesus Christ and the people uh, of Christ, because people who are far from God, very often their only perception of, of what Christians are, what they see on TV, you know, and if that's all you get of what Christians are, man, I wouldn't want anything to do with it if I, that's all I saw, um, I wouldn't want to be associated with them, and increasingly in our culture, the very people we are trying to win to Christ, that's their perception of us. You know, oh, you're a Christian. You can just kind of see their shields go up, you know. Oh, you're going to be like this. You're going to... And I just, one of the things I have really grappled with, especially in the later stages of my life, is how did this happen? How did, how did we get there? How did we get to be so unlike what Jesus was like? Uh, the truth of the matter is, sinners loved Jesus. They, they flocked to him. They came from all over the place. The people that, that Jesus had conflict with, It's people like you and me. It was the religious people because he kept breaking the rules. You can't do that. How can you be kind to a woman that's a prostitute? How dare you? You you need to lecture her about her sin and get her straightened out, you know? Jesus just came at this completely different. And, and so one of the things we're going to talk about, what we are going to talk about over the next three weeks, is this kind of this relationship between how people perceive us, favor, whether they favor us or not, and we come across favorably, and, 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 and our witness. Because uh, we live in a world where, where it's easy for Christians to kind of divide up a them and us kind of a thing, you know, and to, to point fingers at, you know, whether it's the wrong political party or the wrong sexual orientation or they're immigrants or whether they're they're homeless or whether they're criminals or whether they're you know just people you disagree with and you and you don't need you don't like very much. Can I can I give you a, just an absolute gospel truth? Those people, they need Jesus. They need Jesus in their life. And the truth of the matter is, you, may, may, you may, may very well be the only Jesus they ever come in contact with. Think about that. I mean, Jesus doesn't usually show up to people person to person. He sent out his people to be him to the world. You may, may very well be the only Bible they ever read, what they see in your life. And so this is super important that we get this and that we understand this. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to look at verse 52. Uh, and this is, this is uh, one of my favorite passages just out of my own curiosity uh, in the Bible. Uh, and, that, and that is this, because this is when Jesus was a bad boy. You know? This is the one where Jesus got in trouble with his mom. Uh, so when people ask me, you know, did Jesus ever have to be disciplined? Yeah, we have that in scripture, by the way. You know. So if you remember the story, uh Jesus is, is twelve years old and his family goes to Jerusalem for Passover, which was a really big deal, big festival, all kinds of really cool kind of stuff, Uh, and they're there for several days, and they would have traveled with their families. They traveled in big groups for protection, and uh, it would have been people they were related to, you know, like, so all the cousins are together, and... I, I don't know. You all probably were really good people, but when, when I was growing up, when I got together with the cousins, trouble was right around the corner. We just got into all kinds of things with each other. and So they did that, and they got there, and, and they got ready to leave, and they, they gathered up the group, and they didn't see Jesus around particularly, but they figured he's with the cousins, right? Everybody's going together. Everybody knew when they're supposed to come. They get a day out. They get ready to make camp, and Jesus isn't there. Okay, so all of a sudden they, they look all over, ask, everybody, anybody seen Jesus? Anybody say, No, I haven't seen Jesus. Did you see him along the way? No, we didn't see him along the way, you know. And, and so at, they, they finally figure out that Jesus isn't with them, their 12 year old boy isn't with them he has been left in Jerusalem which is the big city okay and it's packed with people and so you can imagine what they felt like they were just like <gasps> you know kind of stressed out and it's dark and you can't travel at dark in the first century very very dangerous uh, animals thieves all kinds of stuff you know so they literally had to, to spend what I'm guessing was a sleepless night right they get up the next morning first light they are out of there and they're heading back to Jerusalem scripture records that they look all over Jerusalem for their kid right so and I, I want you to get a hold of this emotionally, because we, we kind of just blow by it. Imagine you have lost your child, okay? You are in day two of your child being missing, right? You had the, the whole travel out there, the sleepless night, haven't gotten any sleep. You come back, you've been searching all day long for your child, and finally, finally, you go to the temple, and you find your child in the temple talking to the rabbis. And, and I love how Scripture kind of mutes kind of what Mary said. But I'm guessing Mary let him have it. What do you think, you know? I mean, I've never met a mom that if their child had been missing for two days, didn't hug them, then scream at them, right, you know? it's like And so she kind of blasts him, and, and he says, i got to be about my father's work and, you know, all, all of that sort of thing. But it, it concludes with a really interesting passage that we have a tendency to blow, bl- blow past, and that's uh, verse uh, 52, and it says this. Jesus grew, okay, so he had to learn and he had to grow, right? In wisdom, which is applied knowledge, stature, he got taller, he had his growth spurt in there, and favor, and this is gonna become an important word, the word favor, with God and man. I'm gonna be honest, I've read this scripture hundreds, thousands of, of times. And in my mind, I always kind of made this connection of favor with God. And for some reason, I never quite thought about the implications of he grew in favor with man. And I've been grappling with that all all week. And and so for for 18 years, from, from the time he was 12 years old till the time he was 30 and started his ministry, Jesus was growing in favor with God and in favor with man. Now, let me explain this to you a little bit. The word favor here is the same word in Greek that we use for grace. Charis. Say, Charis. Yeah, you spit in your kind of thing when you do that, so now it's all kind of slimy. Sorry about that. Charis is the idea of grace. So he grew in grace. And... and Part of the confusion a little bit here is when we tend to use the word grace, we tend to think in spiritual terms. God was gracious to us, unmerited favor. We, we have a religious kind of context for us for that. But just like uh, today, uh, the, the word has also just kind of a common usage. So if I say to you, somebody is very gracious you don't think about spiritual things. You think like they have good manners. They're they're easy to get along with. They're the kind of person you want to hang. We like to hang out with people who are gracious. They they put others first. They help others. That's kind of gracious. It's not spiritual, but but it's just kind of this way of relationship. Well, the same is true in the first century. The word charis was used mostly by Christians for this kind of spiritual thing, introducing this new covenant of grace of charis, God's unmerited favor. But it was also used in just common language to speak about people, and so when it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor, charis, with God and man, they're actually using it in the gracious sense of, of the world. It's the idea that, that he got better at relationships with people, that, that, that people liked him, that, that people connected with him, that, that people wanted to be around him. He, had, he was good with relationships with people. In fact, uh, that, that word uh, there, here's, here's kind of the, the common de- definition, that which affords joy. So, when Jesus was around, it brought joy to people pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loving, loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness, favor. When Jesus grew in all of these areas, he brought more joy to people. He brought pleasure to people. He brought delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness. Everybody liked him, the favor of the Lord. Guys, this is the boy you want your daughter to marry. Amen? <laughs> you know. As someone who had a daughter, trust me, and i got a really good son-in-law that's quite gracious. Um, And and so Jesus grew in this, and and one of the things it's saying here is people really liked Jesus. He put people ahead of himself. Even as as a boy, he learned that. Now, he struggled with that because, interesting, this passage comes to us in contrast to the fact that he just didn't do that with his parents, Right? He just kind of didn't show up and let them go off for a day and treated them really bad, you know, so he had to learn. It said he grew, he learned, right, you know, how to do that. But, but the idea here is that he became very, very good at that. People were attracted to him, just like we're attracted to people that are kind and respectful and hardworking and, and, and well-mannered. Uh, and so um, let me just kind of say it out loud like this. People liked Jesus a lot. Everybody tended to like Jesus. He attracted the crowds of all kinds of people, and especially, probably more than anybody else, people who were far from God liked Jesus. They, they would show up. They would, they would come, and they would listen to him, and they, they loved what he had to say, and he would take care of them. He would feed them. He would heal them. Gracious, he was generous uh, with them in, in so many sorts of ways. I can hear some of you thinking, well, yeah, but man, there was some real conflict. There was, with powerful people with religious people, with hypocrites, with people that, that struggled with, with the message of Jesus of grace. That, that, that was, the oh, man, we can't have any grace. we got law. you got to stick with law. And so he had conflict with them for absolute sure. But he was attractive. And, and so I want you to get this picture of, of Jesus. If Jesus were to come in and move into you as a next-door neighbor, you'd go, man, that was the greatest next-door neighbor I ever had. Jesus was so cool, Okay. So, here's the implication. Being like Jesus means winning people's favor. I hadn't thought about that before, had you? This was some of this, I I mean, I kind of knew that in the back of my head, but but as I worked through this, it was like, oh, wait, that that, that was important. Being like Jesus means winning people's uh, favor. Uh, Mean-spirited, angry, off-putting people, that's not the way Jesus was. In fact, every once in a while, I hear Christians say something that always bothers me a little bit when they say, I don't care what people think of me. Well, you may not, but Jesus does. Jesus cares what people think about you. He cares about how you get along with people. Because we are called to be like Jesus, to be becoming like him. The incarnation means that we are Jesus to the world. He he went away so the Holy Spirit could come because he could only be in one place at a time. But you and I, we can be in all kinds of places because you can be one place and 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 then multiply by millions where the body of Christ can be there. But we are to be Jesus to our lost and broken and ugly and damaging and angry and mean world. And that means we have to be a people who find favor when we connect with other people. In fact, here's the really tough implication of all of this. What people think about you will determine the witness of your life. What people think about you will determine the witness of your life. It'll determine how well you can tell them about Jesus. When Jody and I um, were fresh out of college, um, we had both, by the grace of God, fallen into really good jobs, Uh, and we were in that double-income, no-kids kind of stage, you know, Uh, and it it was good, you know, we'd go out to dinner whenever we wanted, she needed something new, you buy it whenever she wanted, Life, life was really good, we bought our first house, you know, and and then uh, you know we kind of we kind of decided we needed to have a car. She was driving. She was teaching, and so she was driving a long way, and so we decided we were going to buy our first brand new off the lot car. Okay, this is the only one we bought brand new because we decided later that letting get one about a couple years older was a much better deal economically. But we went. We we I looked and and did all this research. Well, I'm making big purchases. I do lots of research. I did all this research, and I decided on this particular car, uh, a Chevrolet. I think it was. I don't I remember, I remember. I knew all the options I wanted. I knew I, did, I was ready to go. And so we, got, we went to Boise, and we walked into uh, the Chevrolet dealer there, and, and I said, this is what I want. I know exactly what I want. I sat down with the guy, and all of a sudden, he tried to talk me into something else. And I'm like, no, 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 this, this is what I want. And so he kept trying to talk me into something else. And then he got kind of cranky about it. You know, he's like, no, you really got to have this one. Then, I, You know, and it just kind of got so you're kind of like, whoa. And so and I say, okay, we're going to have to think about this. And we kind of, kind of walked out. And I'm like, I don't want to buy a car from that guy. I had never met him in my life. But it wasn't even about the car anymore. It was about him. And it turns out directly across the street was the Honda dealership. Later that day, we bought a brand-new Honda Accord. The guy literally talked himself out of a deal. Because we went over to the Honda, he's like, oh, hey, you know, let me tell you about, you. I told him what I kind of wanted from the Chevrolet, they wouldn't give it to me, he said, well, here's roughly the equivalent, only it's better, because it's a Honda, right, you know? And he, see, what people think about you will determine the witness of your life, will determine how much they're willing to listen to you, will determine how much they're willing to buy something from you, will determine what they think about the gospel of Jesus to Christ, will determine whether or not what you are is attractive to them. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Do you see do you see that that's, that's so important and and mean people rarely influence people for Christ it's winsome people you guys know the word winsome you know that to win people a, a winsome it's an old word sorry i like words but it, it carries the idea of of someone who is attractive they were winsome people like to be a, around them and we are called to to be winsome to to achieve favor with people and so here's the bad news if jesus had to grow in favor all the more you and I. Somebody say amen. Because <laughs> okay? we have to grow in, in favor. And, and, and that's, that's hard for some of us. Okay, I, I know for some of you that, that being winsome isn't really your deal. Uh, but, but words has been the struggle for me. Maybe winsomeness is the struggle for you, whatever it is. But if Jesus had to grow, then you can grow too. Thank you. <laughs> but you're paid, so I was hoping one of them would do it. So let me say this again. If Jesus had to grow, you can grow too. Ah, oh, much, much better in all of that. In fact, some of you are probably thinking, well, that was Jesus. You know, I, that, that's harder for us. I want to take you to the end of chapter 2 of Acts. So Acts is the, is the birth of the church, right? Uh, Jesus has gone back to heaven. They're praying, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, they blow out of that upper room, and they, they witness to everybody, 3,000 people are saved, they're baptizing them like crazy, they organize them into, into house churches all over the, the city, you know, and they get things going, and, and there's a really interesting thing at the end of in the end of chapter 2, because this is kind of the description of what the church is supposed to be be like, and, and it says this in uh, Acts 2, it says Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's the large gathering, okay? Um, they broke bread, which was, that means they shared a meal together, and that was the love feast that eventually becomes communion that we're going to do at the end of this service, in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So the, the good things. Are, they're glad. It's, things are going together. They're making new friends. They're getting connected. Life is good. Praising God and praising God and enjoying the, say the word, Favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's a connection between favor and those who are being saved. They were highly regarded. People looked at those Christians and said, "Man, there's something about them." And I, I hear this all the time when people get saved. I, I was Jody and I were watching this story of Lee Strobel, who, who uh, I don't know if you ever seen it. He's kind of a, a guy that defends the gospel and he's a big evangelist kind of guy. And and the one of the thing, the thing that really caught me in the in the movie was he was talking about his wife who had gotten saved ahead of him. And and she could never make an argument that would persuade him. But the thing he said was, but she has changed. He could see the difference, the favor. Something in her w- w- was difference. The truth of the matter is Christians are very unpopular with sinners, and that is not the way God intended it to be. He intended that we, we would be popular with them like he was. In fact, Christians are supposed to be the people unbelievers love. I, um, I saw a little meme the other day that was talking about relationships with fathers. It was talking about, you can tell the quality of the relationship between a father and a son when a son gets in trouble and he says, oh, no, my dad is going to kill me. Or, oh, no, I got to call my dad. And I am so glad that when I got in trouble, the first thing that I thought was, I got to call my dad. And I am really glad that my son, when he gets in trouble, he's struggling, he calls me. Because he knows I'm not going to judge him. I'm not going to be happy about what he did. But, but, but he knows that I will be there to help him and pick him up and get him through it and get him whatever he needs. That's what I mean. We, unbelievers, when they get in trouble, they should be going, you know, we got to go find a church. Those people will help us. Those people will accept us. They're not going to put us down in all of that. The favor. That There's something about those Christian people. They're, they're a little weird, you know, and all of that. But, man, when you get in trouble, that's the people you want to go see. That's what Jesus was like. The woman with the issue of blood. The, the sinners, they would, they would come to him. He would, they, they wanted to touch Jesus. They wanted to talk to Jesus. They wanted to connect with Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we become a, a, a people of favor that Christ intended us to be? So the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this in different contexts. But today, I kind of want to talk about the, the word that, that kind of is used to help us get at this favor, that gets us in favor with other people so again, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kind people find favor with other people. Kindness is, 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 is key to this. And, and I hate that the English word has kind of been turned into a kitty word, you know. When I first looked at this, I was kind of thinking about illustrations about kind. I, I, I kind of flashed back to when my kids were you really little, and, and I remember like a purple dinosaur that talked about kind and a yellow big bird that talked about kind. You know, you learn it in Sesame Street, kind of a thing. And so we we we're adults, so we we value toughness and strength and all of those kinds of things. Kindness, that's a that's a kiddie word, you know, share your blocks with your cousin kind of deal. But Paul wrote these words, probably while in prison probably nobody or very few people in the history of the church have been treated as badly for their faith as Paul was because he was always stirring up the powerful people, right, and teaching a religion different than theirs, and that got them all upset. And he is the very one who writes to the church at Ephesus and says, be kind, okay? So get this, based on the Greek, the word kind, we are commanded to be kind. The, the, The original language, that isn't a suggestion, that's a command, That's your boss telling you what to do. And that word kind, there, it carries this idea of sweetness, just like the word grace, generous disposition, pleasant, benevolent. Sweetness, how's your sweetness factor? (laughs) Wonderful. How's your sweetness factor with the people you don't like? How's your sweetness factor with the people that are sinners? Generous disposition, and generous is really important because this word actually carries the idea of of a loan, and it has the the implication is that someone's borrowed money from you, and they come to you and they say, I can't pay it, you know? How how do you react? Is it a generous disposition? Remember, Jesus told a story about that, you know, the one that was forgiven much and the one that was forgiven little, and pleasant. I'll tell you, sometimes pleasant's hard for me. Sometimes I have to, (laughs) got to work on that one benevolent. That means giving or, or, or generous. We are actually to become. In fact, the word for be there is, a, is that Greek tense that means you are and you are becoming, you know, from Romans 12. Yeah, be being transformed, not just be transformed, or you have been transformed, but you have been transformed and you are being transformed. Be becoming. You, you, you are a kind people. I know you. I've been around you. I've hung out with you. You are a kind people, but get kinder. Become more kind, Because, I know this with all of my heart, perception matters. Perception matters, regardless of what the truth is underneath. If you are in your heart a kind person, but it ends up you get in situations where your face never shows that and your actions never show that, then then it's it's all lost. Perception matters. So let me give you an example of that. In our church, through our, our denominational structure, we have some very strict rules about money because we want to deal with it with integrity. One of those rules says that people like me, the clergy, cannot touch the money. Okay, I don't count the money. I don't receive the offering. I don't do the books. On my name are on none of the banking accounts, anything like that. I, I head the board that decides how the money is spent, but that's the board that decides that, right? I, I have nothing to do with all of that. Now, the truth of the matter is... Even if I were allowed to do all of that, I would not steal from this church because although I'm afraid of you guys, I'm really afraid of God and I don't want to stand there and say I stole from God. But those rules are so valuable because of the perception. When someone comes into our church and we, a number of years ago, there was kind of a church that had a big struggle with that and we had some people come into our church and the first thing they would ask me about is accountability and how does your church handle money? And when I laid out for them what the rules were, they're like, oh, that's so great. I really like that. Now, it, whether or not I was going to steal the money didn't change whether the rules were there or not. But the perception mattered. You get know, I'm Sam here, it, it matters that, that we become kind. In fact, this word actually carries the idea of a politician, that the public perception, that it matters, the perception you give off to, to people around you. So quickly, there's, there's two ingredients uh, to this kindness sort of thing that we're going to be saying. Say kindness, okay, because we're going to talk about this one a, a lot going forward. That's, that's how we become uh, favorable for people. So there's two words, the first uh, two ingredients to kindness. The first one is tenderhearted. Our empathy uh, in this, and for those of you that are kind of uh, theology nerds and Greek nerds, um, I've told you before that that we tend to associate warm, loving feelings from the heart, right? Which is why it's translated tender heart. But the actual Greek word refers to your guts, <laughs> because they thought that your feelings came from your guts. So. We're going to talk about our guts a little bit here. This is this is empathy. This is the idea that you can feel what someone else is feeling, that you you sympathize with them, that you connect with them. And when you have empathy for people, it, it really opens them up to what's going on in the world. It's understanding their situation. Uh, it, it's it's understanding their history. All of those those sorts of things. And so uh, this this works in probably whatever your your weakness is. So for me, having now had life-threatening cancer, I find all kinds. Of people come and talk to me about cancer. Why? Well, because I get it. <laughs> I understand it. I understand what it is to sit in a doctor's office and get a diagnosis that very well may end your life very shortly. I understand what it is to go through chemo and throw up. I understand. I understand. I won't go into the details, but I understand some of the. I, I get that. I, I get that. Another group of people that tend to talk to me a lot are ADHD people. Why? Because I have empathy. I, I get it. I, I, you know, I understand what it is to not be able to focus and to change and, and do, do all those sorts of things. Why? I, I have empathy. I, I have this, this tender heartedness towards them. I'll do all I can to help them. Okay? Now, on the other end of it, I am not even close to being compulsive and, 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 and you know, that whole, like, everything's got to be straight sort of thing. Those people never talk to me. Because if you were to walk into my office, half of the pictures are crooked. You know, it would drive them crazy. They're like, oh, I can't stand it in here. i got to go to somebody else, you know. It's a, so we are to be an empathetic people. Kindness involves empathy for others. And, and that means the broken people in our world. And we live in a world filled with broken people, amen? Let us be empathetic. And then the second one is forgiveness, which is getting past your past. And let me just say, because Christian people misunderstand this one a lot, Forgiveness has nothing to do with letting the person who wounded you off the hook. In fact, it has nothing to do with them at all. Forgiveness is entirely about your own emotional and spiritual health. Okay, and, and let me just say this really clearly. You can forgive someone and believe that they still need to experience the consequences of what happened. And I, I don't know if I've, I've told this, it's been a long time since i told this. In my last church, I had a woman whose daughter was kidnapped and abused and killed. And I, um, she was like 12. And, and years later was when she became a part of my life. And one day, we, there was no one around, and we kind of got into this conversation about forgiveness, and I'd preached on forgiveness or something. And so she kind of shared the story with me, and she said, I said, how did you survive? How did you get through all these years later? Because she was much older at that point. And she said, the only way I survived was I had to forgive him. And I thought, I'm not sure I could do that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just not sure I can do that, you know. She said, now, don't misunderstand. It was important to send him to jail because he can never touch a kid again, right? The, the reconciliation is different from forgiveness. But she said, because I forgave him, it set me free to live the rest of my life. Do you get that? It's not those, and so forgiveness is about what God wants to do in your heart. And 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 if we don't forgive people, that makes it very hard to be kind to people because that eats us alive. Especially if it's the same sort of thing that was that we were harmed in. It it, it just it hurts us. And so forgiveness is so important. Christ forgave you before you asked Him to. Okay. because we are to forgive as Christ forgave us. And there's a whole sermon, probably series on that, but I just want you to know, if there's a place of unforgiveness in your heart, if you will work through that and get to the place of forgiveness, you will be so much happier. It'll be so much better for you. Ultimately, we believe that kindness counts, that it matters to God. It's important to Jesus. In fact, one of the most common themes in Scripture is how we treat one another, how we connect with one another. And and it's especially important when there's a power differential, when you have power over somebody. Any of you ever had a mean boss? That is not fun. (laughs) That is just not fun. And and I'm telling you, nobody goes to that boss and asks them about their life, okay? So here's some benefits of of kindness uh, today. Um, Kind people have a better emotional health. There's lots of research about this. They they, they, uh, they tend to be happier. They tend to be better adjusted. They have higher life satisfaction levels. They're Their better relationships with family, their marriages are better. Being kind is good for you, which is kind of the way God works. I've decided all the instructions he gives are good for the mission, but they're also good uh, for us a- as well. And then, Kindness is essential to our witness. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit already. But we are called to win the world. And in order to do that, they can't hate us. That just won't happen. And it wasn't the way Jesus worked. We can't be the angry, judgmental kind of, kind of people that we sometimes see out there. We're going to talk more about that. And then um, kindness is crucial to your spiritual health. It really is being like Jesus. This is what, what, what matters in, in our lives. It's, it's so important, in fact, that it's listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit. What the fruits of the Spirit is, is when the Spirit is alive in you, then this is the fruit that you, you bear. And if you're not bearing that fruit, there's reason to wonder about the fruit. Working of the Spirit in your life, just like if you plant a tree and it never you, apple tree and it never bears apples, and that, you, at some point you go, okay, this isn't really what it's supposed to be. So here's the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to this: love. It's the first one. And in Greek, the word order matters for importance, not for yeah. Anyway, you get it. Um, love, joy, peace, forbearance, putting up with people, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Doesn't that sound like the person you want for a neighbor? That they're they're loving, they're joyful, they're peaceful, they bring peace, they're forbearance, they put up with stuff, they're kind, there's goodness in them, they're faithful, they're gentle, they have self-control. That's what God, that's that's favor. That's winning others. We know us by our, 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 our fruit. So, here's my challenge. Let's become famous for our kindness. Wouldn't it be cool if people said, the people that go to Generations Community, they are the kindest people. I don't know about their religion, but they are so kind. The the fruit of the Spirit is in them in in, in so many ways. Because ultimately, kindness is love poured out. That's all it is. It's just a way of pouring love on stuff. We're never going to be the coolest church in town, okay? Because you got me as a pastor. Sorry. But we are determined to be the most loving church, amen? And a part of that is kindness, that we would be those kind of people, that we extend kindness because God extended kindness to us. God was kind to you when you didn't deserve kindness. We're going to close with communion. Because if ever there is a reminder of the kindness of God, This is it. That when you were lost and far from him, that when you did not deserve his kindness or his grace or his mercy, his favor, gracious, that he extended it to you. And not just with words, but with actions. That literally, before you knew him, before you wanted him, while you were rejecting him, he was dying for you to bring you into life. God has been so, so kind to you. Let us be kind to one another. If you have this, if we could pull the tab off there for the bread, and we'll get to the juice in just a minute. Let me ask God's blessing on these elements. Father God, we are mindful that you have been extraordinarily kind to us. And so to ask us to be kind to others is not a big ask. (laughs) We owe you that. You forgave us, and you call us to forgive others for the same reason, Father. And it is our desire to be like you. And so I pray, Jesus, that as we come to your table this, this day, Father, that you would remind us to be kind, that, that maybe you would bring to mind some people that we need to work on this, that we need to grow like, like you did when you were on earth, that we need to be more kind to them, that, that they would see you in us, Father. Make us Like you, through this, your table, we pray. Reminded that on the night the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember my kindness for you. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ, preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and eat. After supper, he took the cup, and when he had again given thanks, he gave it to them saying, this is the new covenant in my blood which was shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember, remember whose you are, remember where you came from, remember where your eternal, eternal home is. The blood of Jesus Christ, preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and drink. Father, we have come to your table. We have listened to your word. We have lifted our voice in thanksgiving, and we have offered prayers. So, Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would rest upon us, that your hand of blessing would be with us, Father, and that you would make us the kindest people anyone else has ever met, Lord, that we would be a church that's known for our kindness, not just so we can be sweet, but, Father, so that we can be like you in all we do and say. We love you. Thank you so much for these good people, Father. I pray that you would bless them and encourage them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing the benediction. And I want you to kind of sing this over one another and bless one another. Maybe look around a little bit and pray Pray the benediction over people. The benediction is is a blessing. Or maybe someone else that's not here, that you would bless them as we sing together.